Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Obviously, our history is critical to our understanding where we came from and where we're going, and the History Miami Museum has captured so much information and artifacts. I'm very happy to welcome the Executive Director of History Miami Museum, George Zamanillo. George, thank you for being here, and can you tell us how you came to be Executive Director of History Museum Miami? Sure. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, well, I come from, you know, my background is I was an archaeologist for about 10 years and I worked all over South Florida doing different contract work. And mostly when they were going to build or develop a property, archaeologists were called in to see what was underground. Oh, my so gosh. That, yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. So I worked on many sites, including the Miami Circle, discovered in 1998. Yes. And shortly thereafter, yeah, they, they recruited me to come over to the museum as a curator. And I work on exhibits there and collections. So I did that for a few years, and I've been there for 21 years now. I that's, worked my way up to a director. Oh, my gosh. That's just such an exciting story and a yeah. great history. I, I had no idea that they would call in archaeologists at constructions, <laughs> but it makes sense now that you talk about it. And I know there have been other discoveries from Native American sites that they keep finding. Um, they're finding dinosaurs that they never knew existed. So this is an ongoing thing. But it is. again, at History Miami, it's specifically Miami. And you are yes. coordinating along with the 125th birthday of the city with your very own new exhibit called It's a Miami Thing, Highlights from <laughs> Our Collection. Tell me, what is a Miami thing? Well, if you live in Miami, you know there's a 305-ness to it. You know yes. there's a certain flavor and sound and sights that make it unique. I, I just got back from a trip to upstate New York and I had a great and relaxing time. But the minute I got back to Miami, it's <laughs> a different color, the sounds different, it smells different, and you miss it. You know, it's definitely unique. And that's what makes Miami, Miami. Everybody has a different story on what makes it unique to them. I think it's the sights and sounds. I think it's the color of the sky. I think it's the water. I think it's our environment. That's really the main thing. Then after that, it becomes, you know, your personal connection to the city. And maybe it's an outside influence. Maybe you came from somewhere else, like most people in Miami right. moved here and you bring that with you. And that's what makes it so diverse and culturally rich. Yeah. There's an energy in Miami yeah. that you don't feel when you go even further up the state. It gets completely different. And it's a, a cool vibe. And like you say, I think it's the diversity that really makes it very special. We've got people from all over the world who move here, buy their homes here. How are you going to be celebrating the 125th birthday? Well, we decided for the 125th to just bring out almost everything from our collection. And <laughs> actually, we can. We have millions of items. But we said, let's just bring out the stuff that people don't see, they haven't seen in a while. And just do highlights of our of our vast collection because that's what people connect with. That's what they're nostalgic with. Those are the things they remember from either their childhood, growing up in Miami, or things they really want to see that are rare artifacts that we have in our collection. 
So we're doing that. We're bringing out all these great items that relate to, to South Florida history in general, but mostly Miami. Are there certain things that you find people respond to more than others, whether it's an era in time or a particular artifact or a personality who was popular? I think they do. I, I think most people that have lived here for a while really connect on a nostalgic level with certain things. For instance, on our invite, we had the letter B from the Birdine store oh in downtown God, yes. Miami. Yes. And, and we had hundreds of people commenting that, like, I remember that store going there as a kid and had a restaurant on the top floor. And before it became Macy's, it did this and this. You know, it was amazing how many people just commented on that one letter. Well, it turns out when Macy's was closing down, and of course, Macy's took over the Birdine space, we went to visit. Weeks before they closed down, we went up into their attic space and they had the entire name, the Birdine's letters oh. that went down the spine of the building. And we were able to collect those. It's a great story how we were able to salvage and save something before it was destroyed. And now we can share with people and they can make these, you know, they can reminisce and connect with part of their childhood or adulthood or whatever it was in the 60s and 70s growing up in downtown Miami. So it's great to see those connections. Those are real special. And we have a lot of those pieces of standout, especially aviation, maritime. Some of those things we have from Pan Am and Eastern. People love seeing those things. See, you're saying things and my brain (laughs) is going, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And I've got to imagine there are debates every time someone sees that B. Is it Burdines or Burdines? <laughs> yeah, Burdines or Burdines, right? Exactly, you're right. Uh, do you have anything from what was the 163rd Street Mall and then became the miracle at 163rd Street when they used to have uh, the playground in the center? I don't think we have it in the exhibit, but if you go into our archives, I guarantee you we have something from there. It's amazing. If you go into our archives and research center, we'll, you know, we have over 2 million photographs and pamphlets and brochures from everything you can think of in South Florida. And it's amazing. And people go in there looking for one item and they'll spend hours because they keep on uncovering and uncovering different things they didn't even know existed. (laughs) So it's good. I've got to imagine you have some very good databasing people (laughs) to keep track. (laughs) I mean, seriously, how do you record every single item and how do you decide what you're going to title it and what category it goes into? Well, that's a challenge. Yeah, we we have full time you know managers, archives, and collections managers. Two, three, four people that spend their days just you know cataloging and, and making sure everything's inventoried and scanned and photographed. And then when you add it to the database, like you said, you need a description, you need the keywords. So when you put it in the database, you could search for it, find the location for it, and store it properly. There's a lot more than when you when you donate a photograph. There's a lot more work that goes into it to make sure that it's uh, accessible and easy to find. Can anyone make a donation to the museum? They can. We have a donation form on our website, historymiami.org. You could also call the research center or collections, and we'll guide you through that process and see if it's something that fits into our collection that's appropriate, or make sure that we don't have it already. But that's how we get most of our stuff. People mail it in or send it in after we talk to them. What kind of things are you hoping to receive? Well, it's amazing. I mean, at least once a week, we get a package from someone that's not, <laughs> and someone that didn't reach out to us first. And it's amazing when you open these things up. It's like, you know, I was cleaning out of my parents' attic or going through their papers or their garage. And I feel like at least once or twice a year, you get this one item, it's like a jewel. We got one recently. I opened up a little scrapbook from somebody in the 40s. Oh my uh, right before they got married in the 40s, her husband went away to war came back, they bought a house in what's today is the Shenandoah neighborhood, right by 10th Street, Southwest 10th Street and 19th Avenue. Right. And I drove by. I had to, I had the photo with the address on it. So I wanted to drive by and they've restored the house and it's beautiful and still there. Oh, so I knocked wonderful. on the owner's door I knocked on the door and I said, I gotta share this photo with you. I'll, you know, I can't give you the original but I can scan it and give you a copy because this is your house, you know, sixty years ago, seventy years ago. 
And they were blown away. But that's the kind of connection you can make. And that was just an unsolicited scrapbook that somebody mailed to us during COVID. My brain is going crazy right now, thinking of my own scrapbooks and, you know, tickets from concerts at the baseball stadium, the original (laughs) Miami Miami baseball stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And yet with all of those, you've got artifacts going back to the year 800. (laughs) Well, yeah, and even older than that. You know, like I said, I was an archaeologist. We have some of the oldest artifacts in the southeast. We have artifacts that date back to 10,000 years ago. Some of the ones on the exhibit are from 800 uh, before present. But we have stuff that goes back 10,000 years and people can't believe that we have a history that goes back that far. Like, the city was only incorporated 125 years ago, but this region had people living in it for that many years. Are they Native American artifacts? Yeah, oh. Native American artifacts, Paleo-Indians that were here in South Dade, near the Durian State. Uh, and they lived there. They were hunting for a big game that, you, that do not exist. They're extinct megafauna. <laughs> oh so God. mastodon and these woolly mammoth type animals and in condors and other animals that just don't exist down here anymore. Dire wolves. Oh, peccary. Yeah, so stuff you see on Game on Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> you like they don't exist. They were real. They live down here. What do we have now? Iguanas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they were looking for these, they're hunting these animals and they moved down here to South Florida, just like everybody else, looking for the climate, for the right environment to move down to an ideal location for hunting and gathering. Absolutely fascinating. Now yeah. you also have coming up on the 14th of this month. A free monthly family fun day, all about Miami's history. And and you do this every month where people can come for free. Yeah, we're really excited to get back in the routine. You know, we had, because of COVID, we had stopped for the past year and a half. But finally, next month, you know, we have the second Saturdays of every month, and it turns out to be August 14th, we have a free family fun days. And that's when uh, when everybody comes out in the community and we have crafts and activities and music and art. And you can learn a little bit about everything that we do. And those are the most popular days for the museum. They really are. How has your involvement in the history of Miami specifically, you know, as an archaeologist, I'm sure you know much about mm-hmm. places everywhere. But how has the history of Miami impacted you being up close and seeing how people react to it? Yeah, and it's, it's been an amazing journey. You know, I, I was born in New York, but I came here when I was seven years old, 1976. I'm like all now. of us. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, a lot of people came from somewhere else. So, right. you know, Cuban immigrant parents, we moved here in the 70s. And I was here during that time in Miami where the city was completely transformed. Late mm-hmm. 70s, early 80s, we went through everything. It was immigration waves, uh, crime, drugs. Oh, uh, we were yeah. in the national news every day uh, for the wrong reasons. Yes. Uh, but we emerged from that time. You know, remember the Miami Vice and Scarface days? God, we emerged yes. from there with a completely different look and feel and transformed ourselves. Our population increased by probably a million people. And all of a sudden we were, you know, everybody wanted to come down to South Beach and see the Art Deco district that was almost destroyed uh, during those times, but it was preserved. Uh, the city was economically growing every day. We developed entire new neighborhoods and I got to live through that. So I'm really fortunate, I think, to have experienced history in the making. Right. And, and, and again, this city keeps on transforming itself. I feel like every seven, eight, nine years, every decade has a different feel to it. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so special. I keep saying it, but it's just striking me as you keep talking about it. I've lived these things, too. I've been in Miami since I was three. But I never thought about the fact that we were 
making history. I knew that there was the transition from when Miami Beach was mostly, well, actually, it was the big party place for the criminals. (laughs) Yeah. And then it was the seniors, and then it became made over with Art Deco, and the Cuban population Mm -hmm. really was very big in transforming that and making it so vibrant. And then it became hip and cool, like you said, Miami Vice. (laughs) And and then it was Botox City. <laughs> but but the the entertainment, the quality of our arts and entertainment in South Florida, in Miami, with the Miami City Ballet and you know the Arsht Center, we have beautiful right. buildings and amazing opportunities to really enjoy life. And I know you do a lot of different tours and city tours. And I'm going to send people to your website for the moment to get details about it. But if you would be willing, I'd love to have you come back in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe when school is starting and we'll talk about you have so many programs for young people in school programs. And I'd love to get into that as well. I would love to do that. Absolutely. Okay. So the website is www.historymiami.org. And if someone wants to call, let's say they want to apply for a job or volunteer as a sorter or whatever it is. Yeah, our main number is 305-375-1492. Ah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I just thank you again, Executive Director of the History of Miami Museum, George Zamanio. Your knowledge is just amazing. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. We've been celebrating Miami's 125th anniversary all this week, and I'm very happy to welcome one of the sponsors of this huge event from TD Bank, the South Florida market president, retail, Felipe Basulto. Thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, no, it's great to be here, and good morning. Uh, I'm excited to be participating and, of course, sponsoring this incredible anniversary for the city of Miami. This has been a whole week of parties and exhibits, so much going on. You've been a staple in Greater Miami for years. Can you tell us a little bit about your history here? Oh, definitely. Uh, for me personally, I, I was born and raised in Miami, so I, I am a true Miamian, and I love the city, and I love where we've been, how we've gotten here. It's been an interesting journey, and where we are today, and I'm, I think I'm even more excited for what the future for what Miami holds. I think we truly represent and embody what the American dream is all about and and a true American city. But with TD Bank, actually, the really cool part is that we had entered the South Florida market back in 2005 with an acquisition of a bank. But City of Miami and Miami-Dade County, it's it's pure organic TD Bank growth. So we opened up our first location in the heart of South Beach in 2007, and we've grown from there. And currently, we have 31 locations in the county, and we'll be continuing our expansion. Congratulations on that. You know, a lot of companies come in and they do their business and not all companies get as involved in the community as TD Bank has done. Can you tell us, in addition to sponsoring or being one of the sponsors for Miami 125, can you tell us about some of the other community work that TD is doing in Miami? Definitely. And it's funny you say that. I I do agree. I think a lot of brands like to come in and present their product and or service. For us, it's really about a commitment to the community. Number one, you know, our teams reflect our markets. So that's really important to us. You know, we hire people who are local or at least familiar or want to commit themselves to the communities that we serve. And the beauty is that we do get involved. I think it's a staple of who we are. We want to serve our customers, but we really want to serve our communities as well. So we've done a multitude of things. Obviously, financial education is right up our alley because we're bankers. So it lines up with what we do. And we've worked with students children, adults, first-time home buyer programs, you know, all the things that you really need to learn and know that don't really get to 
learn anywhere else. I mean, you can Google things, but there's nothing like going to one of these seminars or, or having the opportunity to get that type of advice from our colleagues. But we invest in different things, even for environmentally related. I mean, we are participating in Million Trees Miami, doing a lot of planting to make sure that we make the environment better for the communities that we're invested in. In addition to that, we've done a lot of really cool work with hyper-local artists. Like I was sharing with somebody the other day in our Calle Ocho location, right in the heart of the city of Miami in the Little Havana corridor. When we built that location up, we were very excited to be entering that community. But we actually decided to invest with a local artist there who did a mural that's made of all recycled glass materials that's on the floor next to our area. I mean, this is a 30 by 30 or 30 by 20 foot mural on the floor from this artist rendition, which reflects Miami from the Tequesta Indians to today. And it really embodies our diversity and our culture here in Miami. It's beautiful. That is fabulous. And I have to say, when you talk about working with families and children, I had a flashback to being taken by my parents to get my first bank account. And I had the little book that you kept a record of, and they would stamp it when I'd make my 50 cent deposit. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Is, yeah. Everybody always remembers their first time at the bank. I, everybody does. And the book thing, how funny is that? I think that we have obviously the technology has moved on from those past book savings accounts, but now there's so many great things. And we get so excited when we see the kids and their parents bring their kids and just we continue to serve the families i mean whether they're going off to school or if they're saving money because they had a birthday that brought them fifty dollars and it's time for us to save oh it, it really gives us great joy to do that so yeah. now i mean most people will remember their first time and think of a bank as a place to deposit money and withdraw money make a little bit of interest if you can what else does td offer Oh, wow. There's so much that we offer. And number one, at the core of it, it's, it's advice around different things because banks have very standard bank products. So I'll get to those. We do like to obviously discuss retirement, financial planning, and different things beyond what we offer at the bank. And we do have organizations that we're affiliated with, subsidiaries that do handle different types of things around investments. Nowadays, everybody asks us about cryptocurrency. That's not the area that we're doing, but there are different things out there. But for us, our concentration, anything that you need to do for a bar, perspective. We introduced a really great credit card this year with a double up rewards. You get the point when you spend the money, you get the point when you pay. And especially if you're with a TD Bank account, that's where you get that special kicker. And the rewards is amazing. That credit card's actually taken off. But I mean, from a mortgage to an equity line of credit, I mean, we have a great personal loan that consolidates debt for some people because we have expenses or different things we need to do. We can go down the whole small business and commercial portfolio of products that we offer. Miami's a really big small business town. There's a ton of entrepreneurs here and we have incredible products. We're the number one SBA lender in this market and it's because we work heavily with the SBA to help people fulfill their dreams of business ownership then of course help fulfill the dreams of home ownership. Right. Anything that has to do with borrowing money, depositing money, managing money, we do all of that. So where can our listeners find out more about TD Bank? if they are so inclined. Thank you so much for the question. So obviously, any one of our locations, we call ourselves America's most convenient bank because of our incredible accessibility. Our locations, for the most part, except for a couple of them, are open seven days a week. And we have obviously different hours to serve our communities at that time. And we do have our 
1-800 number that you know you can access and of course online tdbank.com you can access us and there's an array of information and accessibility you can find whatever location an atm we, we even have atms in all the walgreens in miami-dade county so there's lots of ways to access us and again we are america's most convenient bank so come see us at any one of those locations or reach out to us via the phone or the internet and the phone number is triple eight seven five one nine thousand it's available 24 7 in english and spanish so you're really are there for people. I thank you so much, Felipe Basulto, South Florida Market President Retail for TD Bank, one of the main sponsors for the city of Miami's 125th anniversary. Thank you for helping us have a big old party for a week. Thank you so much, Ellen. It's been a pleasure. And for our final segment, the other thing that has captured our attention all week is, of course, the Olympics. And it seemed appropriate while this is going on to speak to another kind of Olympics. I'm talking about the Special Olympics. I am very happy to welcome the president and CEO of Special Olympics Florida, Sherry Wheelock, now 15 years in charge. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Ellen. We're really thrilled to be with you today. I have to tell you, there's been so much growth in the Special Olympics when I finally learned that it was originally started by Eunice Kennedy Shriver because she believed that people with intellectual disabilities could find joy and happiness and have other talents. She started this day camp in her backyard with just a handful of people. And now you have thousands of participants in Florida. There was a post on Facebook with you announcing that you'd hit 50,000. And that was a big moment. And now you've got over 83,000 participants. Tell me about your being part of Special Olympics Florida, why it's important to you, and how did you manage this incredible growth? Well, thank you, Ellen. Well, I started with Special Olympics as a coach and a volunteer through golf and swimming, and then also on the board of directors as a representative for, at that time, I was working for Universal Orlando. So part of those 15 years of leadership was through my board service as a volunteer and through a coach. And as you probably have been out to some of our events, once you are with the athletes and really see the impact that is possible as a result of our programs and then the joy that they have in their faces from being able to achieve something that maybe someone at some point in their life told them that never would be possible, you really become just even more endeared and really passionate about the mission. And so, yes, I'm very proud to be here and be a leader in this organization. As you mentioned, Eunice Kennedy Shriver was truly a visionary, a pioneer in understanding the importance of inclusion and especially in the intellectual disabilities community, um, just giving that opportunity to be a part of a team on the playing field can really grow the confidence and really exhibit the skills that these individuals have and can give back more into our communities. And so um, really great to be here today. So through through really just support and, and focus on growing the programs that we have, we have been able to increase our athlete involvement exponentially. We have been able to add sports like surfing. And um, really importantly, we added a unified champion schools program. And I think a lot of the growth has come through the fact that now we offer opportunities for people with 
and without intellectual disabilities to grow. And so I think that opened up another really important avenue for individuals to be involved. So yeah, a lot of great impact. And then our health programs, just wanted to do a shout out there that we have over 2,500 medical professionals across the state who help offer exams for our athletes. And we did nearly 13,000 alone in just 2019. So we're really proud of some of the impacts that we've been able to have as a team. What did you do during COVID? How did the athletes who are part of Special Olympics cope with that? Yeah, great question. Again, I give a huge amount of support to my kudos to my team. They uh, were able to pivot very quickly. And we really just said we can't stop engaging and offering opportunities for our athletes to stay connected. And so we offered an enormous amount of fitness opportunities. I think we had 354 programs through virtual platforms that were happening online, anything from mental health challenges, uh, yoga that our athletes were actually teaching online that other athletes would take their classes. We had various counselors and psychologists do some great strong minds, which is again, another mental health opportunity. And then we learned how to do telehealth. So we were actually doing exams online, much like any other telehealth that happens for our athletes. So we to date have been able to continue a strong presence and engagement with our athletes. But many of them, as you can imagine, like many of us really had a a tough, challenging year. And so we were able to allow some local Local programming to start towards the end of 2020 with, of course, really important safety protocols in place and social distancing. But I think that a little bit of that, but a lot of the virtual opportunities really kept everybody connected, which was obviously the key and important piece, I think, to maintaining your you know, as much as you could, a way to kind of get through this last year and a half. Right. And you're continuing with the online offerings with health and fitness webinars, a whole series of these starting at the beginning of August. Can you tell us about that? And is that specifically for the athletes or also families or anyone who's interested? Yes, sure. So it's actually, um, uh, yeah, we have a dedicated Facebook page, uh, our fitness page, and anybody can join. So we have coaches on there. We have family members. We are doing a lot of different series on anything from nutrition. So nutrition has been a really fun thing, learning different ways to use uh, vegetables, fruit, the importance of hydration, but in fun and engaging ways. We've had uh, master cooks. Some of our athletes have come on and done cooking challenges. We're also, interestingly enough, an athlete-led mission is what we are, obviously. And they recommended, hey, we like to do Legos because it helps me with my mental health. So Ah. Yeah, it was a great idea from one of our athlete leaders and he actually started the effort. And so we've been doing challenges online with, you know, building different Lego characters. So it's been really, really fun to see, um, again, organically, everybody's efforts to kind of raise fitness and mental health to an important role during this time of being a little bit less in person. Yeah, definitely. However, at least as of now, the Salarulo's Race for Champions, which has been huge here in South Florida and gets bigger every year, all because of Paul Salarulo and his personal connection to Special Olympics. That is still set for November 6th in person at Nova Southeastern University, as usual. And we're going to talk more about that closer to the date. But you can go ahead and sign up now, start your team, join a team, start fundraising. But there's a huge event happening mid-next year. The USA Games in Florida, 
with <laughs> members from the entire country. <laughs> well, I mean, again, first, a big shout out to Paul Salarulo and his family, Patrick and Samantha. They have been tremendous champions, Paul himself, for over 45 years. So we couldn't do what we do without those types of champions um, within our mission. And so, yeah, really excited and hopeful that this year is going to be a, a tremendous year, uh, the 16th year for the Salarulo's Race for Champions. And then the USA Games. So, yes, um, next year, for the first time ever in Florida's history, we will hold what will be the one of the largest humanitarian events ever. We are hosting the 2022 Special Olympics USA Games, and we're going to have 5,500 plus athletes from all around the U.S. and the Caribbean. And this is the first time the Caribbean is actually part of this event. So it's a week-long effort. Uh, we'll be hosting a lot of it at ESPN Wide World of Sports. So it's a tremendous venue for the athletes to be competing in. They'll be staying on Disney's hotels, which will be another great experience. But we'll offer 20 sports, so 20 Olympic-style sports, anything from cheerleading to equestrian and we are actually introducing surfing at this event. So um, yeah, really thrilled about that one. So really looking forward to it. It should be over 125,000 spectators. Is oh what my we're gosh. How do the athletes qualify? Do they have to go through some kind of qualification process like Olympians do at the regular Olympics? Yes. Yeah, so there's a, a prescribed way to advance. Um, part of it is your training and your competition participation over a period of time leading up to the games. And so, yeah, I'm really excited. I think in the state of Florida, we'll be able to support a team of nearly 600. So it's going to be our largest team ever to go to a ESA Games. If someone has a child or even an adult that they know who has some intellectual disabilities but would like to become involved with Special Olympics, because you talk about the growth, not just of the people around them who come to understand that they're capable of so much more, but the athletes right. themselves who find out that they can do rather than being told they can't. Yeah, so definitely um, one of the best ways to kind of find more information out is obviously go to our website. It's www.specialolympicsflorida.org. And there you can dial into how to become an athlete, how to become a coach, learn more about that, learn more about our programs overall. Alternatively, obviously, we also have a phone number and contact information in case you know individuals aren't able to do that. But I think our website really is very informative and a way to really engage. So we're really excited about having more people join and, and thrilled to see the growth that has happened to date. And I know you need volunteers occasionally, too. I imagine for the USA Games, you're going to need a lot of volunteers. Yeah. So um, when I think about someone like Paul Salarulo and volunteer activation, we annually, before COVID, had 38,000 volunteers statewide making our programs happen. So it's a very grassroots driven organization. And for the games, the USA Games coming up, you're right, there's going to be a need for over 10,000 volunteers wow. just that one week. Okay, so how does someone get involved as a volunteer? Um, do they have to have special skills in any particular area? No. So again, um, if you kind of check out our Get Involved page on our website, uh, you can see that there's any way um, to volunteer. You can be, to your point, like if you don't have any skills, but you're just excited to cheer on the athletes, we have a fans in the stands opportunity to be. <laughs> I love it. That. Yeah, we do internships for college aged or, you know, individuals. We obviously have needs at times for administrative. We do have health professionals, as I mentioned, are always a great need for that. You could do a one day event. So 
you could come out to a one-day event. Um, before COVID, we actually hosted 515 competitions in one year. That was our biggest year. So yeah, most people say, when is the Special Olympics? Well, it's every day, multiple times a day. <laughs> so we have you know young athletes. Uh, we need a need for um, the coaches for our young athletes are called Play Pals. So that's for ages two to seven. So somebody to lead those programs. And then you can be a mentor or a unified partner. So, you know, all of these are, are kind of described a little bit further on our website. And like I said, um, there's really a place for everyone to, to be involved. Okay. So the website yeah. is specialolympicsflorida.org. And right. the Facebook page is Special Olympics Florida. Uh, yeah, and correct. all the information is going to be there. Anything else that you want our audience to know about Special Olympics Florida? Well, I think that just um, as we were sharing that, you know, athlete leadership and we believe in the athlete's voice. Um, so like just um, to share Michelle Canizaro, who's one of our Broward athletes, she's actually joining our board of directors. Oh, my um, gosh. This, this, yeah, this <laughs> I fall. spoke with I interviewed her last year and she was just amazing. Just, oh, great. She yes. had such a fabulous spirit. Um, yeah, no, she does. She does. And I think, you know, so I just think um, the message really is um, our focus is inclusion. And so we definitely, to your point, there's a place for everyone on our team. And the impact that just being part of this, whether you can give a dollar or whether you can volunteer an hour, really makes a tremendous impact in athletes like Michelle's life. So you can see that happening every day. So SpecialOlympicsFlorida.org and Sherry Wheelock, President, CEO of Special Olympics Florida. What you're doing for the organization is tremendous. And by extension, what you're doing for our residents, our friends, our families right here in Florida and South Florida. So thank you so much. And let's talk again before the USA Games next year. Sounds great. Thank you, Ellen, for all you make possible as well. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Easy's Community Focus. Please join us again next Sunday at 6.50 for an all-new edition. And if you have questions about today's program or would like to suggest a topic, just email me at ellen at easy93.com. Enjoy your day. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.